Canon Press presents the weekly sermon from Christ Church, Moscow, Idaho. Copyright 2019. If you would like to find out more about Canon Press materials and products, please call 1-800-488-2034. For a complete list of our products or to order online, please visit our website at canonpress.com. Enjoy the sermon. Let us worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also to you. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Lift up your hearts. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have summoned us here to worship you, and you have the right to do this because you are God and we are not. You call us here because you are holy, 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 and worthy of all praise. We confess that we cannot worship you as we ought. We cannot bring you the glory you deserve. We are feeble, forgetful, and easily distracted. But we come in faith, and we come in the name and goodness of our Jesus. He stands in your presence for us. He pleads for us, and he carries us into your presence like a royal robe of glory, like a warrior wearing armor for battle, like a shepherd carrying his beloved sheep. And so we worship you now, our Father, in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, world without end. And amen. Amen. The secret to Christian joy is having a clean heart. John wrote his first letter so that all who read it would have fellowship with all who knew Jesus, and that fellowship is with the Father and the Son, and this fellowship is where the fullness of joy is. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. John explains that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. This means you can't be in fellowship with the light of God and hold on to any darkness. But the good news is that if you walk in the light and you let the light expose your sins so that you can confess them and be forgiven, then we have fellowship with God and one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So this is the secret to having Christian joy. The fullness of joy is being in fellowship with God who is all light all the time. In him there is no darkness at all. There are no shadows. In the course of our lives, there will be hardships, and we will certainly sin, but those shadows cannot stick to us if we stay in the light. Jesus says that the joy he gives is the kind of joy that no one can take away from you. This is because no one can take away your fellowship with God. No one can take away your clean heart. But sometimes, true Christians sin, and their joy can be diminished. True Christian joy can never be ultimately lost, but if you aren't confessing your sins, the joy of your salvation can become muffled. Your filters can get clogged. But if you confess your sins, God will wash your heart clean and restore to you the joy of your salvation. And with a clean heart, you will breathe the clean mountain air of God's delight. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess all the sins we know about, and God washes us completely clean. So, do you want Christian joy? Then confess your sins and get a clean 
heart. As we prepare to confess our sins together, please turn to Along the Streams of Babylon on page 178. So as you're able, please kneel as we confess our sins together. Psalm 51 says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Father, we confess that we have sinned against you with various sorts of bad attitudes. We have complained, we have fussed, we have been critical with our words and in our hearts. We have committed murder in our thoughts and looks and expressions. And then we have had the audacity to complain and fuss about not feeling very joyful. Father, we confess all of this as sinful and wicked. You give us life and breath every day. You give us flavors and friends and family. And you have given us your only son who died and rose again to deliver us and make all things new. So forgive us for our ingratitude, for our discontent, for our anxious thoughts, for our violent attitudes and our complaining spirits. Wash us completely clean and pour out your spirit upon us so that we might be full of thanksgiving and learn to rejoice always. Father, we know that if we in the church give ourselves any kind of pass on sin, this prayer will not be effective. And so we confess our individual sins silently to you now, Selah. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus, and amen. amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. Psalm 51 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your generous spirit. If you've confessed your sins honestly this morning, this promise is yours. You are now completely clean. Your heart is whiter than snow. So I declare to you as a minister of this gospel that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm very thankful to be able to uh, be here this morning and bring the word of God to you. I know that the new art is not too far away, but still greetings from the rest of your Christchurch family from downtown. Uh, we have two sermon passages this morning. The first is from Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And our second passage is Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Our Father and our great God, as we open your word, we ask that your spirit would open us up by your word. Show to us any remnants of our own righteousness that we may cling to, and may we come to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and his great righteousness. We ask this for your glory and our good, and amen. amen. So imagine if Jesus retold the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who would be the characters today? And perhaps he would tell about two students who went to church and they happened to sit together in the same row. And one of them attended a classical Christian school and he, he was a great student. He rocked and rolled on the academics. He won all the awards. He had varsity track letters all over his jacket. Younger students, parents, teachers, they all liked him, and he thought of himself as the man. And sometimes he would thank God that he was the man, and not like those other students that he's heard about out there, like those potheads or those slackers or, you know, this public school student sitting next to him. If Jesus told this parable, he could have told this parable on me, and I wasn't in the place of the humble tax collector. I wasn't that guy. The Pharisee character could be not just a student at a classical Christian school, 
could be a successful businessman. He could be an industrious mom. He could be a younger sister. He could be a felon at the Lataw County Jail, right? Because the defining characteristic of the Pharisee is someone who trusts in his own righteousness. The apostle Paul, before he met Jesus, he was very well suited to be the Pharisee in the parable, right? He was already a Pharisee, so he's got that, but he also had plenty of his own righteousness to trust in, right? Humanly speaking, he had a lot that he could put his confidence in. In Philippians 3, he lists some of these things. He trusts in his history, his parents, his education, his career success, his spiritual zeal, his blameless obedience. And in Philippians chapter 3, 9, he sums all of this up as my own righteousness. And then his righteousness was the means of his justification. He pointed to his righteousness, that he was good, that he was right, that he was acceptable even before God. And then Paul had a radical conversion. And it's not the kind of radical conversion we may think about, right? There was no biker gangs or prison or women, but he had a radical conversion because he was saved not from his badness, but rather from his own righteousness. And in our passage in Philippians 3, Paul tells about his great discovery that he can and that he must abandon all his self-righteousness in order to gain that which is so much more excellent and valuable in Christ Jesus, his Lord. He had the radical conversion and came to discover the great news that Jesus can save him from his own righteousness. So in our sermon, we'll break this up into three parts. In the first uh, six verses of Philippians chapter three, Paul's gonna warn us about the danger of confidence in your self-righteousness. And then this second half, verses 7 and 11, Paul gives the answer of gaining Christ and his righteousness. And then finally, we will look to how we can apply this good news to our own lives. So uh, Philippians 3, verse 1, Paul sets the context for our whole discussion. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Rejoice in the Lord. That is where Paul begins. And if we follow him rightly at the end of this message, that is where we will end. Rejoicing in the Lord. And Paul is so passionate about the Philippians' joy and their safety, that he begins by warning them from what is going to rob them of their joy. What is going to prevent the Philippian church from rejoicing in the Lord? What will prevent Christ's church from rejoicing in the Lord? And it's the very real threat 
of your own righteousness. And so Paul says in verse two, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Paul, this is a little bit salty here. Who are these dogs, these evil workers, these mutilators? Paul is warning about Judaizers, a Jewish Christians who have accepted Christ Jesus, but then, here's the kicker, but then require that the way for you to follow Christ was through obedience to the ceremonial law. So a Judaizer would say, all right, Gentiles, if you want to become a Christian, then you first have to become a Jew and then live like a Jew. And first up, circumcision. All right, see what's been happening in the Philippian church and the Galatian church and other churches is that Paul and the other apostles preached salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That is how you're saved. Remember, uh, Paul is um, writing to the Philippians. There is the, the, the massive earthquake while Paul and Silas were in prison. The doors come out. Uh, every, the Philippian jailer thinks there's a jailbreak. He's about to commit suicide. And then Paul says, don't do it. And the Philippian jailer falls down and begs Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then they preach to the, the jailer's family and they're all baptized. But after this, after they leave, false teachers from the circumcision party, which you know, is just kind of a bummer of a brand name, right? Who are you with? We are part of the circumcision party. But they arrive and they say, uh, hold on, Paul forgot something, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get circumcised, right? They make salvation dependent on Christ plus something. Christ plus this work of the law. Christ plus this circumcision. Christ plus some kind of your obedience. And this is anti-gospel. This is a perversion of the gospel because salvation is Christ plus nothing. And so Paul warns, beware of these dogs these evil workers, the mutilation. And then Paul turns the whole Judaizers projects on its head and says, for we are the circumcision, right? Paul, who's a, used to be a Jew, have converted to Christianity, and now these, these Philippian Gentiles who are Roman citizens, we are the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit who rejoice, who exalt, who boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Right. Paul knows about having confidence in the flesh. Right. He has been there, done that. He's got the confidence in the flesh t-shirt. Right. And he goes on a little bit of a confidence in the flesh rant in verses four and six. He says, we have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. 
right? He's like, really? Are we going to do a confidence in the flesh standoff right now? All right, it's on. Bring it. What do you got? You're talking about circumcision? Man, that's kid stuff. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, right? I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I didn't compromise with the, with the Gentiles or any of the Romans. Right? But he wasn't just born into all of these privileges, right? That wasn't merely his source of confidence. He achieved. He worked hard. He says, concerning the law, I'm a Pharisee, of the strictest observers of the Jewish law, concerning zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He was passionate about his religion, about his spirituality, right? You, you Judaizers, you're just trying to proselytize the church. I was persecuting the church. And he sums it up. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul has all of his righteousness, his accomplishments, his confidence just piled up in his arms. Here's my confidence in the flesh. And Paul is exactly like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the older brother, right? He was a guy who did not go off into a distant land and waste his dad's money and spend it on idolatrous living and sex and drugs and rock and roll, right? He wasn't like that guy. He has been serving and slaving for his dad for years, right? He's never transgressed one of his dad's commandments. He says, I am blameless. Look at all my righteousness, dad. Consider, what would be the testimony of this older son? What's the testimony of the older brother? Right, we're familiar with what happens to the younger son. He's got nothing, totally humbled, head down to the mud pie. Right? And then he comes to his senses, returns home, empty-handed, humble, and receives his father's prodigal grace. What about the older son? What's his testimony? We don't know. The story ends with him sullenly kicking gravel in his dad's driveway, smelling the barbecue, hearing the music, still clinging to his own self-righteousness. What's the hope for this brother? What's the hope for this man? I hope there is hope. I think that's the case for many of us who may trust our own self-righteousness. His hope is that he must lose, give up all self-justification in order to enter his father's celebration. He must be saved from his own righteousness. We don't know what happens to the brother in the parable, but we do know what happens to Paul. So look at that in verse 7. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7, but what things were gain for me, these things I've counted loss 
for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. All the gain that he's had, all the, the benefits of his birth, the privileges from his parents, his promising career as a Pharisee, he abandons them. He counts them as loss. Why? Because he has found something so much more excellent and valuable and worthy in Christ, right? Paul is like, like an accountant with an old school set of scales, right? He's trying to balance out his righteousness. And he has been very diligent in adding that, that pebble of, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, you know, being super obedient, right? Uh, adding that persecution of the church, right? And he's balancing out his righteousness scales. And then he meets Jesus. He comes to know Jesus Christ as his Christ, as his Lord. And it's like dropping a two-ton boulder on his scales, right? All of his, his righteousness is either just catapulted off or crushed, right? Whatever happens, it's gone. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, all of his righteousness is worthless. It's just a cheap imitation, right? Who still has their trophy from U6 soccer, that, that prize, you know, golden kid just kicking. It's like, I got a gold trophy. And at some point you realize, wait, wait a minute, this, this is plastic. It just chipped off. That's plastic underneath. And this is not real gold, right? What is this? It's worthless. Paul recognizes that his circumcision, his parents, his zeal, his obedience were all worthless for removing his sin and making him right with God. But for Paul, these old confidence are not merely worthless compared to Christ. They are also revolting to him. Right? He said, what do I do with all this stuff that's been in my arms? He says, they are fit for the rubbish heap. Right? They need to go into the dog do trash can. And let me give you an illustration from my childhood to help, like, where does these things go? So at one point growing up, we had three dogs at the same time, Samson, Delilah, and Buster. <laughs> and uh, one of the, the duties was to go, you know, every couple days was to scoop poop. And uh, we had a faded green garbage can with a grid ceiling lid that was designated as a dog do trash can. And there was a garbage liner in there. And you'd like, as quickly as you can, open up the lid and there's like, things were growing and fuzzy and flies were swarming. As quickly as you can, you throw it in and you close it up. Right? Gross. Paul says that all of his all the sources of his old confidence is only fit for that rubbish can, for that dog do trash can. They're revolting to him. And, and consider like what goes into that trash can, you don't take out and prize. Right? You don't bring it back into your house. You don't put that 
over your mantle place. You don't put that old righteousness back into your heart. It is revolting. And then Paul, Paul says, verse 8, I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God by faith. Here is Paul's radical conversion. He is saved from his own righteousness by the righteousness of Jesus that's given to him. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, lest you boast. This is through the resurrection of Christ. Look at verse 10 through 11. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. All right, so what, what, is, what needs to happen to Paul for his, all of his old sin, his old confidence? No. They need to be crucified. They need to be given up to Christ. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. Like, we know that Jesus saves, from our, saves us from our sin by taking it on the cross. But the question is, what do you do with all the old sources of your righteousness? Right? Maybe for Paul, it was that he was a Pharisee. Maybe for you, it was that you were the valedictorian or that you were the class clown or your bank account. All of those things are fine things, but they are no longer the source of your righteousness. So what do you do? Well, you are a Christian and you are to follow Christ. And that means that you are to follow Christ to the cross. And what you do is you take all of your old confidences, all the sources of your old righteousness, and they need to be crucified with Christ. They need to be conformed to his death and then buried in the ground. And then what Paul says is they need to to know the power of his resurrection. And they will come back to a new life, right? I can give you an example. Like back in the day, I used to run hurdles, right, in track. And that was one of the things uh, that I put my confidence in. And if you think about it, it's kind of a silly thing. It's like, I'm just running around in a circle, just keep going left, and I jump over things. And I derived a lot of pride in that. Right? I thought I was pretty special of something because of that. Right? And then Christ met me, humbled me. Right? And what do I do with my ability to run around in a circle, going left, jumping over objects, right? Do I have to pretend like I can't run or jump, right? No, right? But my ability to run track, 
my ability uh, to jump over an object has to be offered up onto the cross. It has to lose that uh, in Christ. It must be crucified, buried in the ground, and then experience the power of the resurrection. So that way, I can view that ability, that gift, that accomplishment, not as my source of justification, but rightly viewed, here's a gift. Right? Here is that which God gives to me. And it's not my righteousness, it's not my justification, but it is to be used not to make my name great or for my glory, but for God's name, for God's glory. And you think about that with Paul. As a Pharisee, he knew the scriptures. He knew Leviticus as part of his, his training. When he became a Christian, he didn't have to stop pretending to, to hold on to all of these things. But rather, he uses them in the service of Christ for the glory of God to advance his kingdom. So, how do, we, what is, how do we apply this? What does this passage mean for us? Paul has discovered the great joy of losing all of his attempts at self-righteousness because he has gained Christ. Jesus saved Paul from his righteousness, and he came to know that this was good news. Christians, have you come to know this and to believe this and to live this? You know that Jesus saves you. You know that you are not justified by your own works, but you are justified by Christ. But so often we fail to believe, and we try to work or to substitute some of our righteousness. We are like those Judaizers, looking for Christ plus something. Christ plus that next promotion. Christ plus that boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse. Christ plus popularity or good grades. Christ plus being clean and sober for so many days or months or years or Christ plus Bible knowledge, or church attendance, or being reformed, or tithing this much. And we could go on for as many things are, as the universe contains. Because the sinful heart of man always wants something other than Christ and his righteousness. And all of these pluses are an attempt for your own confidence in your work, in your own righteousness. But the good news is that Jesus is the only righteous one. He is your righteousness. And this is really good news. Amen? That Jesus is your righteousness, and your righteousness is not your justification before God. And this ought to cause us to rejoice in the Lord to exalt in Christ, to boast in Jesus. And there is relief and joy in discovering that you can and you must lose all of your self-righteousness. 
Because what is the alternative? All right, what is the alternative? If you're not going to rejoice in the Lord, <laughs> rejoice in yourself. And from my experience, there is not much joy in that. When you are the source of your justification, there is not much joy in that. What is there? I think you become either arrogant or despair. You are arrogant like that Pharisee who prayed, thank God that I am so much better than all of these sinners. Who wants to be that guy? Or you are under such a crushing burden of righteousness that you know that you cannot live up to, that you despair, that you live in fear, that you try to protect your own justification. Right? You fear what other people think of you. You fear of slipping up or showing that you are a hypocrite, that you're just this golden soccer trophy that's worthless. There is no joy when your confidence is in your own righteousness. So consider if Jesus told a parable, who are you? Who are you? Are you the self-righteous Pharisee? Are you the sinful tax collector who really was sinful? Are you the rebellious younger son? Or are you the arrogant older brother full of self-righteousness? Whoever you are, whatever your story is, the answer is the same. The answer is to look to Jesus Christ. Humble yourself and pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Repent of your pride. Crucify all your self-righteousness. Seek forgiveness for those you have despised. And here it is, it comes back to this, and rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus, because he is your righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners, and that Jesus Christ has come to save those who claim to be self-righteous. Father, I pray that like the tax collector, that we would have a right understanding of who you are and who we are, that we are those who need your mercy. Father, in a community that experiences so many of your blessings, your goodness, the success, I pray that, uh, that we would be humble to recognize your great provision, your blessings, your overflowing gifts to us, but that we would not take any confidence in these good things that you have given to us. Father, I pray that through this we might be released from self-righteousness and we would be used for your glory and building your kingdom. Every so often, some well-known Christian leader or teacher 
comes out as drifting away from the faith, and it's natural to wonder what happened and why. And you look around and wonder who's next, or you might even wonder if you could be next. The Bible teaches that God's judgment is frequently being given over to our lusts. Proverbs 22:14 says, The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. It's not merely that sexual sin will result in God's judgment, though it will. The Bible also teaches that certain forms of sexual sin already are God's judgment. And so in Romans 1, it also says that those who refuse to give thanks, it's those people that God give, gives over to their uncleanness, the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies. So this is the contrast, giving thanks or lust, blessing or judgment. And these alternatives are present here at this table because Jesus is present here at this table. So which do you want? Do you want God's blessing or do you want your own lusts? Hopefully that sounds like a ridiculous question. This is like the offer of the best Thanksgiving dinner ever or digging through a garbage can for a few moldy scraps. But the path of apostasy is paved with ingratitude. And so the fundamental question is, are you thankful? But the point is not that you need to work up a bunch of thankful feelings right now in order to feel worthy of this meal. You're not worthy and you could never conjure up enough thankful feelings. We all deserve to go dumpster diving. But here's the deal. God in his grace gives you the other option. That's the grace. He gives you the choice. Would you rather have blessing unending? Would you rather have peace unsurpassable, joy unspeakable, pleasures forevermore? Would you rather be free of all your lusts? Then come, it's yours in Christ. You're free in Christ. Do you want blessing? Then come, it's yours. Leave the scraps of your lust behind. In the name of Jesus, leave them now and come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the hardest thing. It's one of the hardest things in all the world for good people to be told. They're not good. And it's hard. It's hard particularly when you hear, you hear a message like this and Jesus died for sinners and you say, Jesus died for sinners. No, Jesus died for your good things. Jesus died for all our good stuff because it wasn't that good. The things that we thought were good, the things that we're still tempted to think are good. He had died for all of it. He died for all of it so that it could all be grace, so that we could be set free, so that we could actually rejoice, so that we could actually be free of trying to save ourselves. That's such good news. And so the charge is simply just walk out of here remembering that's not you, it's all him. It's not you, it's all him. He's the one who saves, he's the one who holds, he's the one who's taken us home. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And amen. amen.